welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. I would love to introduce our speaker for today, who is our very own Jill Weber. Um, For those of you who don't know Jill, she's just joined the team. She's moved all the way over from Canada to come and be with us. Um, And she is our Director of Spiritual Formation, which is very exciting. Um, Today we're starting a brand new series based on this book by John Ortberg called The Life That You've Always Wanted. If you want to grab a copy, we're selling them out at the info point, so do go and grab one. Um, Jill, I'd love to pray for you before we start. Father, thank you so much for Jill. Father, thank you for who she is and her story and her faithfulness to you. And Father, as we listen to her now, teach us more about you. And would you open our eyes and open our ears to hear from you and your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jazz. Thanks, everybody. I, uh, I want to say a thank you to everyone who's been so kind and warm and welcoming to me, a newcomer, a stranger in an alien in a strange land, learning all kinds of new British words. So Canadian English is different than English English. And, and uh, anyway, um, people have been really good to me, and I just I wanted to say thank you. I want to say thank you as well to those of you who've prayer walked with me. I, I issued an invitation the last time I spoke saying, can you help me get to know Guilford and Godalming and Woking? And can you walk me through your neighborhood? And maybe a neighborhood that you're concerned about, that you love. And let's talk to God about it together. And I had lots of people do that with me. So it's been so fun. I'm going to keep doing it through the fall. So just contact me through the website or through Facebook and show me your neighborhood. And let's talk to God there together. Um, the other thing that we're, we're starting our prayer week on the 24th, have we announced that? So this, the schedule will be going out, sign up for that. That's what we do here because prayer is, is the heart of Emmaus. We pray um, every term, I'm learning, we, periodically there are prayer weeks. <laughs> and uh, what we do is we open up a room at Founders and you can sign up and pray for an hour anytime, night and day. And we literally go 24-7. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that. Um, You can sign up for an hour slot on your own, or you can come and pray with me. If you see my name, if you see Jill in the sign-up, come and pray with me. I would love to pray with you. I've got to warn you, though, I pray at 5 in the morning. So early bird gets the anointing, I think. So um, you're you're welcome to join me at 5. And... um, We're also starting prayer clinics. You learn how to pray by praying. And so if you're wanting to learn and grow in some areas of prayer, check out the schedule that will come around for the prayer week, and you'll see where there are prayer clinic slots where you can grow in prayer. So that's, I just wanted to get that out of the way. The other thing, um, because I'm new and I'm getting to know you and you're getting to know me, I thought I would do show and tell. Do you have show and tell in the UK? Okay. I found out you don't really have kindergarten. You've got something equivalent, but we have can in Canada kindergarten, and in kindergarten you do show and tell. You bring something of you, you show it to everybody, and you tell them about it. So I'm going to introduce you to my favorite comic strip character. Is that okay? Right. Okay. So let's go to the next slide. Anybody know Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is Calvin, and Calvin is the universal inner child. Calvin is the one that we all want to be. He says the things that we all want to say, and he does the things that we all want to do, and he does it with his partner in crime here, Hobbes. So 
Here's Calvin. He's saying, Hobbes, do you want to see my transmogrifier? He said, I didn't know that you had a transmogrifier. And he says, I just got it. Step into the chamber, set the appropriate dials, and what, it'll turn you into whatever you would like to be. It's amazing what they can do with corrugated cardboard these days, <laughs> says Hobbes. Next slide, isn't it? This transmogrifier will turn you into anything at all. All you do is set the indicator. Machine automatically reconstructs your chemical configuration. You can be an eel or a baboon or a dinosaur or even a giant bug. And Hobbes says, well, what if you want to be something else? He says, well, there's room to write on it. You can write on it. So let's go to the next slide. So here we go. Calvin gets into the transmogrifier. There's a zap. There's something mysterious that happens. And then, next slide. Whoops. <laughs> He says, try again, Lunkhead. Didn't work out the way he planned. So I just thought that this morning, because we're interested in transformation and transmogrification, so I did bring a transmogrifier. So during the ministry time, feel free to come and be transmogrified. <laughs> you can choose, actually. The options are um, you can choose eel or dinosaur or bug. So it's just, you know, whatever you prefer. <laughs> transmogrification. Or transformation. It's a universal longing. We all want to be transformed. We all want to be something that we're not, or maybe more than something that we feel like we are. We all want to be bigger, stronger, faster, thinner, you know, whatever. <laughs> we're longing for transformation. It's in the heart of every man and woman. It's in the heart of, of creation, even in, in, in um, oh, Romans 8. It talks about how all creation is groaning and longing for our transmogrification. <laughs> Actually, that's the Jill prayer phrase version. All creation is longing for the sons of man, the daughters of man, to be revealed. Because God is transforming us. He's, he's taking us from glory to glory. He's changing us on the inside. He's transforming us from the inside out, not only for our own sake, but because the whole world out there is waiting and is longing. So we long. We, this, is, this is what this book is about, the life that you always wanted. We, we long for more than we have right now. We long for more out of life. We long for more out of God. I want more out of God. I want more from my relationship with him than I'm experiencing right now. That's the longing for transformation. I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about some of the beautiful Greek language around this we see in the New Testament. We'll go to the next slide. The transformation, the word, the root word is morphu. <laughs> we see it in Galatians 4.19. Paul says, I am again in, uh, in, in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The word speaks of, of the actual the activity, and it's, it's really like a child being formed and shaped in the womb of its mother. So today, this is the womb. The Ivarnode is the womb. It's a womb with a view. You're being shaped, and you're being, oh, it's a bad joke, I'm sorry. I, I had to try. Anyway, um, you're being shaped, and you're being transformed in this place. We had a moment, didn't we, during the worship? Anybody besides me have a moment, right? We're like, oh yeah, something's going on here in this place. This is a womb. We're being transformed. More food. Um, then the next word, somorphizo. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. I apologize. That's a, that's a 3D printer <laughs> right there. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of brothers and sisters. Joel Ortberg, in this book that you're all going to buy, right? Uh, he says this, We are pregnant with the possibilities of spiritual growth and moral beauty so great that they cannot be adequately described as anything less than the formation of Christ in our very lives. The formation of Christ in our very lives. What that means is you are going to look more like Jesus after you leave the service today than you did when you got in. We're being conformed to the image of his son. That's the work of God in us, that transformational work. Then the third slide. Metamorpho is where we get the word metamorphosis. In Hebrews, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we're being shaped in, in the womb of God's purposes. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. We're being made new. And this... Um, let me, let me, I've got a good definition here, actually, of transformation. The next slide, one of my teachers back in North America is a woman by the name of Ruth Haley Barton. I love her definition of transformation. She says this, transformation is being conformed into the image of God for three things. Number one, for his glory. Everybody say, for his glory. <laughs> Number two, for your flourishing. Point to somebody and say, for your flourishing. <laughs> and number three, for the sake of others. So we conformed or being transformed for the glory of God, for my flourishing so I can have the life that I always wanted, and for the sake of others so that I can invite you into the life that you've always longed for. This is transformation. Transformation is not, here's a few things that it's not, transformation is not behavior modification. Transformation is not Sin management. Transformation is not New Year's resolutions. Do you guys make New Year's resolutions here? And right, transformation is not New Year's resolutions. Here's one: transformation is not a mechanical process. Here's why we get discouraged in prayer, because we think people ask me all the time. I get interviewed, and anyway, but they say, "Does prayer work?" I hate the question. I get cranky because the question implies that prayer is a machine that works. Prayer is not a machine that works, right? You know that? Sorry? You all know that? But we think, we think that, that transformation is somehow if I do this and this and this, then this is automatically going to happen in my way, in my time, in the way that I think it's going to happen. It's a machine. If I do it in the right configuration, I will get my desired result when I want to get it. And then we wonder why we're discouraged. We don't understand the mystery. <laughs> There's a lot of mystery involved in transformation. Here's a fact, fun fact. You are being shaped and formed all the time, every minute of every day. Next slide. Our lives are like a beach with water coming. Oh, that water is supposed to be coming. And waves coming up on a beach. Um, and you might think it's a little thing. We're being transformed by something small, small habits, small practices in my life. It's just like a little wave on the beach. But over time, our lives get shaped by those practices. Next one. That's, that's in Canada. I've, I've hiked around there. So that's a beach. That was a beach. 
And there was a wave, and then there was another wave, and then there was another wave, and then there were 10,000 waves, and it shaped and informed. So we are being shaped and formed by our habits and our practices all the time. And I know that last week, um, well, uh, Bill talked to you guys last week a little bit about technology and your relationship with technology, a little bit. Um, so, oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what was I saying? So, uh, <laughs> so we're being shaped by technology. <laughs> so, does anybody read anymore, or do you just scan? But we're being taught by our technology to scroll and to scan, right? That's how we're being shaped by technology. Um, how about? Uh, how about you? We talked about your attention span. See, I've lost it. See, my attention span. I don't even have an attention span. Obviously, technology has affected my attention span. <laughs> has technology affected your ability to rest and to recreate? How many notifications do you get on your days off? Anybody? Do you know? Probably you shouldn't. Um, how is my technology affecting my ability to be present to others? I think, Bill. Are we able to be present to people in our lives? Here's one. Does your phone go to bed before you do? Next slide. <laughs> There's a great book out there by a guy named Andy Crouch called The TechWise Family. If you're a parent, you need to read this book. It's about technology and family life. Here's some statistics from the Barnett Institute in North America. Seven out of 10 parents say that they take their phone to bed with them. So seven out of 10. I know that you're much more holy in the UK. You don't have the problems that the Americans have, but parents, eight out of 10 parents say their teenagers take the phone to bed with them. And seven out of 10 parents say their preteens take the phone to bed with them. And I'll let you think about all the implications of that. What's our relationship with technology? How is it shaping? How is it forming us? Because we are being shaped and we are being formed all the time. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is my life and the way that I've configured my life and my habits, is it transforming me? Is it conforming me to the image of Christ for the glory of God, for my flourishing, for the sake of others? Or is it deforming me into the shape of our idolatrous culture <laughs> and everything we worship that isn't God? So are my habits transforming me? Are my habits deforming me? And I want to just talk a little bit about a, a transformation in my own life, a struggle that I had. Next slide. So this is me 100 pounds ago, <laughs> me and my friend of an extra 100 pounds. Um, I was morbidly obese my whole life. I, it runs in my family, and I struggled with my weight since I was on my first diet when I was nine years old. And I tried everything. I was hungry, and I was longing for transformation. I tried New Year's resolutions, and I tried sin management, and I tried, you know, everything that I could think of. I lost 100 pounds just by sheer force of will, and I regained it again. And then I lost 125 pounds. I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to give it my best effort, and I regained it again. And I had this moment of clarity when I was speaking in a, I actually had gotten an eating disorder because I had, had, was just doing everything I could to manage this, this weight issue in my life and 
and I was speaking with a psychologist, and she said, Jill, you just, your biology is fighting you. You're actually fighting a biological war that you're not going to win. And, and I'd given it all my best effort, my best resources, literally for about 30 years, you guys, to no avail. And I realized I needed a power greater than myself to A, restore me to sanity, and B, restore my body to health. And at this point, you go, oh, yeah, Jesus did it, Jesus did it. I mean, yeah, Jesus did it, actually, but he did it through a bariatric surgeon. <laughs> and I actually had surgery. I had a bariatric surgery. I had my stomach stapled. I, I got some internal reconfiguration to change my biology so that I could lose the 100 pounds and have the mobility that I wanted to have and to be pain-free because I was in a lot of pain and I, was, I couldn't climb stairs hardly at all anymore. It was just bad. <laughs> anyway. So my own best effort got me nowhere, and I needed something. I needed someone outside of me who was more powerful than I was so that I could be transformed from the inside out. Here's the next slide. There we go. Next slide. Next one again. There we go. I want to talk for a couple minutes just about spiritual disciplines as you go through the Ortberg book at home or in your collectives. Um, even, is the Emmaus Way going to be up yet? Oh, great. Okay. Um, as you're looking through other resources around this, probably there's going to be some talk around spiritual disciplines. So I'm going to muck things up a bit right now because I'm going to, I want to say to you, I actually don't like the phrase spiritual disciplines. I have two problems with that phrase. One problem is the word spiritual. And the other problem is the word disciplines. <laughs> and, uh, disciplines. Just think of the word discipline, right? It's just like, oh, I just got to do this thing. And I got to get my prayer down so I can tick the box and read the Bible in a year. And I'm like five Bible books behind. And I'm just going to be really disciplined. And I'm like, oh. And you kind of slump your way towards it and get it done because that's what you just got to. It's like taking your vitamins, you know? So, I mean, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but that's what we think of, right? We think of discipline, spiritual discipline. And then I have a problem with the word spiritual because it's like, okay, well, these things are spiritual and will transform you because they're spiritual things. And these things over here are not spiritual. Now, I'm not saying like sinful, terrible, corrupt things. That's not what I'm talking about. But my spiritual discipline this morning, you want to hear what it was? Right. Okay, well, if you don't want to hear, that's okay. <laughs> I got up at dawn, and I went on the, the, the hills, the woods and the hills. I can never remember the name of it. Oh, anyway, there's hills and woods by my house. Chantry Woods, and I picked blackberries. That's my spiritual discipline. First of all, you have to be slow and careful so that you don't, like, maim yourself on the brambles. <laughs> and I'm always getting zapped by the, um, what's, ah. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the nettles, I'm always getting stung. I just haven't figured out UK plant identification yet. And uh, <laughs> so, but it's a sacrament. I just, I'm like, there's something about the quality of light that time of day and reaching for a blackberry. And you got to get it just right because you don't want to smush it and wreck it. And, and you got to miss the brambles. And, and there's something about that that I just quiet down on the inside. And I am still, and I know that God is God, while I'm getting my blackberry off of the bramble. That's not on the list of spiritual disciplines, usually. <laughs> so I think what we struggle with is to think, oh, these are the spiritual things that you can do. And these are not spiritual things. God is everywhere. You guys, we have to rediscover imminence. Everybody say imminence. 
I think we're good in the church understanding transcendence. God is in his heaven. He's up there. Hallelujah. But God is also closer to you than you could ever imagine, closer than your every breath. He is imminent. He's in your face all the time. If only we had eyes to see it, which means many disciplines. Well, I call them disciplines. I'll tell you what the new phrase is in a second. Many things that we think aren't spiritual actually are because he's here. He wants to be with us. God wants to be with us in a particular way because he wants to transform us. So I actually don't use the phrase spiritual disciplines much anymore. I use um, the word uh, formational practices. And I like the word practices because it means I just get to practice them. It's like, okay, I'm rubbish at this. I am so not good at this. But that's okay. I'm going to practice. And I'm going to practice. And I'm going to practice. And it becomes kind of playful and joyful. It's like, I'm just going to keep trying. And we'll just see what happens. Find ways to make space for God, to permission him into my life. Practices. And formational meaning, I understand that the things that I do, the things where I, the things I give my heart and my attention and my time to shape and form me. They all do. So I want to cultivate formational practices. And then I want to talk just a little bit about God's part in this and our part. Because oftentimes with spiritual disciplines or formational practices, we think it's all our responsibility. That, if, that, that we've just got to do this or God won't. Right? If I don't do this, then God's not going to meet me. He's not going to find me. But that's not how I read the scriptures. What I see when I look in the scripture, Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. No one comes. So, do you know what? Um, God invited you to church today. Now, you, had to, you, you said yes to the invitation. You had a part to play. But you got an invitation from the Lord to be here today. Just the very fact that you wanted to be here is proof that God is at work in your life. Because God is at work in us to will, to want, and to act according to his good purposes. He is taking initiative every minute of every day of your life. And there are invitations that you can pay attention to or not, respond to or not. He initiates, we respond, and then he responds to our response. It's like, ah, oh, she said yes. They said yes. Look, they're here. They all came to church. All right, I'm just going to bring my presence during the worship. I'm just going to rain down all my love because they said yes. <laughs> so I think we need to understand that dynamic. God is chasing you. He's inviting you. His desire to transform you is far greater than your own desire to be transformed. And just the fact that you have that longing in your heart to be made new, to be made holy, to be made more like Jesus is an indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life inviting you. That's beautiful. That's because then it's not all up to me anymore. It's not all up to me. All I have to do is give him permission. And all I have to do is make space. So that's all these, these formational practices are. They're just, I'm just going to make space. I'm going to go pick blackberries. Or I'm going to go look at the Bible on my blackberry. <laughs> In whatever way you would make space. Hmm. The good news is this is not just for religious professionals. 
people who work for churches. And this is for us in our regular life. This isn't for monks and nuns behind cloistered walls. This is for stockbrokers, and this is for mothers, and this is for teachers, and this is for bus drivers. Let's go to the next slide. I love this little triangle that Dutch um, Dallas Willard is a fantastic educator. He's going to be with the Lord, but back in North America has trained so much of us in our understanding of, of the interplay between God's will and ours unto transformation. And this is his little construct. He says, we all have uh, the laboratory of our life. So you, did you know you're all in seminary? Put your hand up if you're in seminary. Everybody, put your hand up. Put your hand up. <laughs> you're all in seminary. Uh, is there any young moms here? You're on seminary fast track, just saying. God has put you in school where he is burning out all of your selfishness and teaching you how to pray. Oh, God, these children, Lord have mercy. You know, so <laughs> we are all in seminary. This is the laboratory of our lives. And if we take the laboratory of our lives, understanding we are all in seminary, and we take these formational practices to say, I'm going to give God permission. I'm going to create some space through whatever formational practice. And then you add on top of that the person and the activity of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who longs and desires to make you new. This is how transformation happens. This is the other Holy Trinity in my mind. And I, and I just want to just take a minute. Is Rosie and Andrew here? Are they here? Yes, Rosie and Andrew, come up. I just wanted uh, for them to talk with us just for a moment because, you know what, I can talk about this and you guys can go, well, yeah, she's a church leader. She gets paid to pray. Of course, she's in the prayer room. That's part of her job. And, uh, and so I think we need to understand and we need to hear from Andrew and Rosie, who are not religious professionals, but are in their own kind of seminary about how God is creating space and inviting them in their own lives. Thanks. Um, so I guess my classroom um, is being a mum and a mum to really little children, thankfully getting older. Um, and before I had children, I used to be able to make space to read my Bible. This is a traditional spiritual discipline. Um, read my Bible on a regular basis and really feel like I was um, connecting with God, that he was speaking to me by doing that. And as soon as I had children, that... I lost it. It completely went. Nobody can relate to Rosie, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for years it went. And um, it really did become a bit of a frustration. Um, and I, so I was talking about it with a friend quite recently and saying, I just, I just don't have time to read my Bible anymore. And this is, you know, this is not good. Um, so she helped me. So she... Um, she went through my day with me, and we found a little five, ten-minute slot, which was after I dropped the children off to school, um, before work. And I had five or ten minutes, usually, before I got to work, where I could just sit in my car and just be. And um, she encouraged me to have my Bible and a notebook in the car, which I did. Um, and she also introduced me to the Passion Translation of the Bible, which is fairly new. I hadn't read it before. And um, so I started so three days a week, three mornings a week, um, sitting in the quiet with no distractions. I haven't got to do anything um, other than just read my Bible. I have my notebook just to sort of write down things that um, sort of 
I don't know, I connect with, I guess. And that, for me, has made such a big difference, I can't tell you. I sort of, um, I feel like a part of me that was disappearing has sort of come back again. So. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Rosie. Now stay, stay up here with Andrew. It's like, give him an inch, and he'll take your life. Give him a little bit, if that's all you've got. Anyway. I'm just going to add to Rosie's because she hasn't told you the other bit where the last few weeks I've sort of gone up to um, at the end of the day and find her reading the Passion Bible. So there's another step where that's just to add to what Rosie said, well, that's grown and continues to do so for, for her, which I love seeing in Rosie. She is growing in that. Um, for me, uh, it's something which is quite uh, simple, I think, but uh, is the idea of being connected, of being uh, in community with others. And uh, it's, it's something which, uh, looking back, and uh, when Jill was talking about it, it sort of made me realize just how significant that's been. Um, those of you who know us, Rosie and I uh, have relocated back here uh, two years ago, and I'd say we're in a time of transition, of uncertainty, and... With that, there's immense blessing, but also challenges. And I think uh, for us, noticing the way in which we feel placed uh, in our collective, where there is support, uh, which is amazing, where people are alongside. Um, but then, again, on another level, where we're in our friendships, where we meet, and for me particularly, there are guys where I can be very real with them. And there's not a particular agenda in this, in that we meet to, to pray or do other. It's just friendship. Uh, and what struck me as I have uh, looked back uh, is, is just the fact that in these friendships, there is permission to be real. We can have a laugh. We can uh, be talking about some really deep things, some serious things. Uh, and it might be that uh, I was saying, we, I've noticed that as things go through and things might be particular ch particularly challenging, uh, it is the fact that I might get a text at the uh, particularly uh, key time. Or I'm, we might have arranged to meet for a meal, but in that meal, in the course of the discussion, God has spoken through those friends in an extraordinary way uh, and given me a soundbite of truth uh, from God. God is using them uh, to speak into my life, to, if you like, pick my head up from what I'm looking at. Um, uh, one of them is amazing, kind of in his exponential thinking. He Suddenly, I, my horizons are broadened. It's a God thing. He's showing me the possibilities that he can do immeasurably more than I ask or imagine. And I come away from a meal uh, just invigorated and encouraged and with energy, with hope. Uh, these friends of ours who are, uh, live overseas, suddenly they will email or they just happen to be in the UK. Uh, and so uh, what we feel is that there's, there's a friendship uh, which is so key, but then God uses that uh, to inspire us, but uh, particularly our family has inspired me in my walk with him. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Rosie. This is not rocket science. We're talking about 10 minutes in the car on the way to work. We're talking about texting a friend, being in a collective, allowing God to speak through you. My longing and my desire 
And I see it already. I'm just getting to know you, but I know that God has more for us as a community. That Emmaus Road would be a transformational community. That we collectively and individually would be conformed into the image of Jesus for the glory of God, for our own flourishing as individuals and as a community, and for the sake of others. But what we need to do in order to see that happen is we need to give God permission. We need to get in the box. Here we go. <laughs> I needed a bigger box. You guys, your appliances are too small in the UK. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we need to, and then we, we need to, we created space. We give him permission. What, what should I be? Dinosaur. That's what the kids at Woking wanted to. Okay. Dinosaur. All right. You guys ready? You ready for this? Here we go. <laughs> I got to be careful not to break the box. And, um. <laughs> you know the thing about transformation? Often it happens in very small increments. <laughs> over a long period of time. So I might be slightly more dinosaurish now than I was 30 seconds ago. And that's the way of it, actually. I mean, there's suddenlies and there's breaking throughs where God breaks in and there's a dramatic transformation, but mostly it's in very small degrees over a long period of time. So we're gonna, let's, anybody feel like giving God permission? Anybody? Anybody feel like wanting to create space for him? All right, come on up, worship team, and I'm going to put this down here in case anybody wants to symbolically or prophetically step into the box and turn into a dinosaur. <laughs> there we go.